Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the very first postseason edition, off-season edition, whatever you want to call it, uh, of Football and Grits, the Athletics SEC Football Podcast. I'm your host, David Ubbin. Uh, I'm joined here by Josh Kendall. Mixing up the schedule a little bit. We got folks in Miami uh, tied up. Josh and I sitting at home, watched a, a heck of a game uh, on, to, on Monday night. Yeah, a heck of a quarter, at least, I suppose. <laughs> uh, a heck of a performance from, from Alabama. Um, but Alabama's your national champion. Um, it's amazing to say that sentence. I feel, like I, I feel like I haven't said that sentence in, what, just over a year, right? A year and a half, two years. <laughs> I feel bad for Alabama fans. They've been waiting so long for that title. And finally, you know, some guys, some people, some people forget some some kids at at at, uh, at Alabama, they haven't seen a national championship since their freshman year of college, and those people are juniors now. Can you believe that? They had to go their whole sophomore year of college without having a national championship to celebrate. I mean, I thought of them last night, and and my heart fluttered a little bit. But when you look at that game. I think for me, it was about what I expected. I mean, I kind of said this coming in. I felt like Oklahoma, I felt like Ohio State told us more about Clemson than it was going to about Alabama, and that it kind of exposed Clemson on the line of scrimmage, and it won that game because it dominated. As I said, this is, they're not going to be able to do this against Alabama. I think Alabama's going to just score 40. There's no way they're going to hold them under 40, and then I'm not sure they're going to be able to keep up, and that's kind of what we saw. And I think it's, uh, you know, that's kind of what we what we saw. That that game was a little bit more lopsided than I expected. Um, but, uh, you know, in terms of how it played out, I didn't know how Ohio State was going to get stops. And they had to match them. It was going to be a track meet, and they just couldn't. Um, what was your sort of big takeaway from, from watching Alabama dominate like that? My takeaway at the end of the game was how pedestrian it felt. Alabama had more than 600 yards. Devontae Smith had more than 200 in the first half. Mm -hmm. Najee Harris tied the SEC career touchdown record, set the SEC single-season touchdown record, and it just felt like, well, yeah, you know, this is what we expected. Exactly what you said. This is what we expected. So I'm a little bit fearful for us that our expectation level has is now set at historic performances we had lsu and we thought look at that once in a generation offense and alabama said watch this and in two years time we're kind of numb to numbers that are absolutely staggering yeah you're right and i think too 
you know, Devontae Smith, it was a shame we didn't get to see him chase the 400 receiving yards in, in one game. But I think his uh, his game, like his season, will almost be not respected in him in history of how good it was because one you know he barely played in the second half and he still has you know i think he set the national championship record for receptions um 215 yards three scores the ways that 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 steve sarkeesian was scheming to get him open i mean ohio state knew they needed to stop him but they were getting him open and getting him the ball in 5,000 different ways um and and that was amazing but i think you look at Devontae's season his numbers, you know, people are going to forget over time, I think, that not only did he only play, what, 13 games instead of 15, 10 of those are against SEC uh, teams, and then he plays another game against Florida, and then he plays two playoff games. There's no, you know, FCS game in there, no Citadel. There's no, uh, uh, you know, low-level group of five team, no poor you know, Louisville team that thought they could they could start the season with a win uh, over Alabama that they can rack it up on. And it's a really good year with really good numbers, and I don't think people are going to realize how crazy those numbers were considering the schedule. Right. That's our, I agree with you, and that goes back to my point that he made it look so easy almost. I mean, as a, as a Heisman voter, I'm sure you have gone – you have had sort of – buyer's remorse almost to a degree because of the early voting but you, you you've gotten to the final game and you thought boy i wish i could have seen this game before i turned in my final ballot well that was not the case for me monday night Devontae smith was my number one and i felt great about that from start to finish mm-hmm. you you mentioned steve sarkeesian and sarkeesian had a great game but it was I thought it was interesting to watch the ESPN film room with Dave Clawson and Sam Washington and Hugh Freeze and Gene Chiswick. And they were, as much as you will see coaches in that setting, killing Ohio State for not giving Alabama more varied looks. Ohio State basically did what Ohio State does, which is play a single single high safety and load up to stop the run. And Sarkeesian and Devontae Smith toyed with them essentially all game long it was fun to watch but it was you know kind of fun to watch in a you know kid tearing the legs off of a bug kind of (laughs) way so that wasn't a super look it wouldn't have made a difference Alabama's the best team but I I did think that that was interesting yeah they were just very little resistance from Ohio State that's the thing I I thought you know I watched that that Indiana game uh pretty much all of it um and I saw that. I mean, that's probably the best offense that they faced all year. And they were really struggling to get stops when they needed to kind of ice the game away. And uh, I don't know if people have watched Indiana, but um, Alabama's offense is better. <laughs> it has better players. And uh, and I, I was like, I, I don't think Ohio State's going to be able to get stops here. I don't know how they're going to get stops. I mean, that's hard to do against Alabama, uh, but I just didn't see it. And then that's kind of what we saw. You know, you look into the crystal ball and you see they've got Bryce Young coming up. They signed, you know, an, uh, a, a recruiting class that even by Bama standards is wild. Historically um, the highest rated in history, right? Yeah. Yeah. Are you are you bored? Yes. Mm-hmm. A thousand percent. I mean, I, I'm, I'm all for, I love, you know, appreciating excellence, but this is enough. You know, I, I think that, you know, there was certainly part of me 
that was rooting for Ohio State because we just need something to slow the momentum of Alabama. We need something different. This is a ton of fun if you're an Alabama fan. And it, you know, as a college football fan, it's impressive to watch. Absolutely. But it's getting to the point, you know, we've talked about this. We've got 13 teams who are chasing Alabama, sometimes to their detriment, and trying to copy what Alabama's doing. And that's just getting more and more and more impossible. And in in the SEC, the answer to that, as we know, is not going to be a recalibration on 13 campuses to say, do we need a different approach? Do we need to do things differently? It's going to be, let's throw more money on this pile to try to keep up with an impossible what it so far is an impossible standard so yes for me that sucks some of the oxygen out of the room yeah i mean i think for anybody who played ncaa back in the day i mean this is like this is like saban's playing and the rest of us are just kind of sitting there watching um because this is dominant and i think you know, I, I didn't need a seventh national title to, to pass the bear to believe that Nick Saban was, you know, the best coach of all time. I've, I've felt that way for a while. I think it's uh, – this in this era, it's harder than ever um, to win and continue winning. And I think, you know, this is – that's what makes Saban the most impressive to me is that Alabama never comes out and lays an egg. I mean, you think about the last five seasons – how many games could you say that Alabama did not play very well or came out there and really let a team do things that they they didn't deserve to do? You know, that random, oh, we didn't have it today, that 6-6 six and six team, you know, took us into overtime or beat us. You just don't see that with Alabama. Um, and, and, that ran, and that random is part of the fun, for me, mm-hmm. of college football. I am not as big of an NFL fan. The NFL is too clean, it's too scripted, it's too almost too consistent college football is messy it's uneven it's a mess off the field in in some bad ways which we nobody likes but in some ways that make it fun frankly and there is an any given saturday aspect to it but there's just not with alabama they have taken the any given saturday out of the sec Mm -hmm. when they play and that's less fun it is. Uh, you know, the revolutionary strategy of recruiting all the best players seems to have paid off. And, and you know, props to them. This is It's an amazing run, and it is unbelievably difficult to do what they do. Um, and, and, and to have done it by changing completely the way that they do it. Yeah. I mean, you're. I agree with you wholeheartedly on Saban. He's done it not only more than anybody else. He's done it at a time when more people are putting more resources into it than they ever have. And he has completely remade himself and his team, not himself, but his team, in the midst of that and just kept right on rolling. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking elsewhere around the SEC, if you're Texas A&M and you watched that last night, we, I heard from plenty of A&M fans last night already, 52-24, a very, a very reminiscent score of uh, the Aggies' early season loss. They were pushed out of the playoff. By Ohio State, I thought going in, um, I, I wanted to see Cincinnati over Notre Dame. Uh, I didn't really have a ton of of uh, strong opinions of Ohio State versus AM. I probably would have leaned Ohio State just because we haven't seen them play elite teams. I mean, that, that's we saw what happened to Notre Dame when they played elite teams. They got smacked. A and M got smacked. I wanted to see Ohio State hadn't gotten smacked. They haven't lost. I know they've played less games. There's a decent case for A and M over them, but let's see that. Let's see Cincinnati, who won all their games. Um, give them a shot. Um, but A and M sitting there watching last night sees a game that plays out very differently um, than their own game. They they probably played better than uh, Ohio State did. They got they got uh, dropped by some. Some haymakers that the uh, the, the tied through. What do you make of, of the Aggies sitting in and and how did how does that game look in College Station? Well, it looks great in college football when you can't compete with with Alabama, which is everybody, not just the Aggies. Then you cling to the transitive property. <laughs> you know, South Carolina was going to ride two years ago, was going to ride that win over Georgia as far as Georgia would go. I mean, you, you, you could just see, you know, the, the, the bumper stickers that said South Carolina 20, SEC champion 17, or whatever in, in 2018 mm-hmm. if Georgia had finished that thing off. So, you know, I, I, college football fans are always going to cling to whatever you give them. And right now Texas A&M has got – well, we played them as close as Ohio State. We, you know, and, and you can you can build an argument, any argument you want around that. The Aggie argument that I saw very briefly last night, I'm sure you were exposed to more of it, was <laughs> we played them early in the season. We didn't have a chance. We're much better now. Blah blah blah. Well, guess what? Alabama's much better now too. Um, all these Aggie fans who are puffing out their chest. If you said, okay, let's line them up tomorrow at Kyle Field and how do you feel about that game I think you would see less chest beating <laughs> well I think they would lose by like three touchdowns instead of four like it is what it oh, is I think it I think it would be four or five again I mean I just, it is I, what it is like the Aggies were a really, really good team this year I think Jimbo needed a big year and he got it and this team is built really really solidly um, they're set up for a really good run in the future uh, but I just don't. And they're think, not close to Alabama. That's the problem. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't. I don't think they to, are. It's not even to, really that close. To circle back around to, to talking about you talking about being bored. That's exactly the problem. Texas A and M is really good. Georgia had a pretty good football team mm-hmm. this year. They're not close to Alabama. And 
apparently neither is Ohio State, who is probably its closest recruiting peer um, at this point. You know, Clemson has done some really good things, but Clemson is not still recruiting on the same level as these teams. It's it's a not cut top above. to bottom. No, Ohio State is the closest one, and. It's a problem. I mean, it feels like, you know, women's basketball in the 90s and early 2000s where there's one team that's only – and and if you're a casual fan, a casual sports fan, why do you want to watch, you know, UConn uh, basketball go 36-0 and again and win the national championship by 40 points? It's it's not great. It's bad for the sport. I do think it is. Um, and we'll see. Um, I, I, I've, I've, I've become a begrudging – uh, expand to eight guy. I was a, I was a don't you know I was against bracket creep for the first couple of years of the playoff, but as we've seen it homogenize and we've seen the recruiting gap grow, the talent gap grow. And there's only a handful of teams that can say, hey, if you want to come to the if you want to make the playoff, you got to come here. Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. And that's a powerful recruiting tool. I'm not sure how much it would shift the balance if you expand the playoff, but I think it would make a lot more relevant games. It'd give the G5 a path. Um, people would watch the Pac-12 and the Big 12 title games. Uh, those would feel much, much bigger. Getting to the playoff should be a very big accomplishment. Um, and it is right now, but it's becoming one that is unattainable, legitimately unattainable for half of the sport when you're talking about uh, the group of five. And then you look at the Pac-12, the Big 12, I mean, it, you're turning it into a regional sport, and I think that is is not good for it. But you know, and from and from a consumer perspective, the playoff right now creates two weekends. Let's call them weekends of football, and one of them is unwatchable because of what Alabama's doing. Essentially, you know, unless you like, you know, like to see flies get tortured, like we did Monday night. Mm-hmm. So, if you the the more teams you add, the more interesting weekends you add to the calendar. And I think that's good for college football. So I'm I'm with you. I was not necessarily beating the drum for a playoff, even you know three or four years ago, five, whatever it's been now, eight years ago, because I do sort of enjoy the chaos and the sloppiness of college football. But now that you're in it, you know, four seems like a fairly bad middle ground. If you're going to do it, let's do it. Let's create some. Um, Cincinnati versus Ohio State with something on the line. Let, let, let's get let's get some more of those games on the calendar at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Well, looking elsewhere at the defending national champions before last night, um, I don't think Alabama has a year like LSU waiting for them around the corner. But the Tigers, after. Um, a pretty nightmare scenario are running it back and trying to go back to what they had. They hired Jake Peets. Um, Joe Brady assistants. Uh, this is obviously sort of trying to recapture the magic of that year. This is Joe Brady has become a, a sort of a mini version of Sean McVay. The mm-hmm. NFL went through a cycle where anybody that had met Sean McVay in the hall one day was going to get an interview for a head coaching job and maybe get the job. Well, Joe Brady has become that guy, at least in SEC circles. South Carolina just hired a guy named Marcus Satterfield, who was the assistant offensive line coach with the Panthers. Mm-hmm. And one of the, his selling points was, you know, I spent eight months in the offensive room with Joe Brady. LSU is clearly trying to recreate that magic 
which scares me a little bit. Like, you know, we're pulling this back to something that we can all maybe uh, identify with a little better. You know, if you go as a family or as a couple on a vacation or even to a restaurant and you go and you do, go do something the first time and everything works out and everything rolls and everybody has a great time and you think to yourself, well, that was great when we went there that time. Let's do that again. Mm-hmm. It almost you almost never recreate that first experience. You don't recreate that magic. And when you try to, you get yourself in trouble. So I I I don't know. Maybe this works out great for LSU, but in football and in life, I'm not sure you can just say we're going to run that again and it's going to go as well as it did the first time. And I can't remember in the history of this sport a more hyped coordinator hire you get a, a group of five head coach in Bo Pelini to come take you know two and over two million dollars to come be your defensive coordinator and you're already you pretty much knew you were making a change six or seven games if that into the season and you do that after the year I, I don't remember it going sideways this quickly uh, even the Gene Chizik situation at Auburn was not quite this dramatic. Um, and in, in, I think the one thing that LSU has working for them is, man, that's still a really talented roster. There's still a ton of players. And I think that was one of the biggest sort of what the heck's going on here um, responses to the 2020 season is there is so much talent that there was pretty obviously being some mismanagement. I mean, LSU should have been better this year than, than five and five. I mean, you know, Auburn goes six and five. They're basically the same teams. LSU had more talent, um, and so it's it's it's. I, I I I'm with you on this. I I don't really understand. You know, I, I get the impulse, but I feel like it's a it's a a pedestrian solution to a problem that probably requires some creativity. Uh, we've seen this, you know, in at the college level with um, you know the Art Browse situation. Everyone on that tree is moving up and and some guys are good some guys have not worked out well but for a while it was anyone that has been in that meeting room i mean sterling gilbert texas flew in the middle of the night to try and save charlie uh, strong's job you know they're flying with their like president and ad and everyone to sterling gilbert's house to go hire him and and that didn't you know sterling is a good coach i'm sure but that did not save anyone's job and it's it feels like kind of a similar deal here. Um, you know, it might work out great, but trying to find something new, trying to find the next guy that can really do something special and be the next Joe Brady that kind of comes out of nowhere instead of sort of this lesser Brady, I suppose. Um, you know, it's not specifically the scheme, it's the guy running the scheme. There have to be so many guys like that. You look at South Carolina situation who just hired a fair hasn't even completed but almost completed a fairly no-name staff and there are concerns with that but there's no reason to say that that can't work out i mean we saw chip kelly kind of come out of nowhere joe brady kind of came out of nowhere Mm -hmm. there are a ton of football coaches across the country and it's uh, you gotta go, go go find the next guy don't just you know don't try to recreate the old guy and i think ed orgeron you know gets a lot of credit for going out and finding joe brady but uh, you know now uh, you you worry that he's just trying that he's, that he's in that rut now i don't know yeah well 
we'll see. I it might work. You know, it'll be interesting. LSU is has not been uninteresting. I'll give them that, but I am I am skeptical. Um, and we'll see how this we'll see how this reboot shakes out. Elsewhere in my neck of the woods, Josh, I don't know if you've been paying attention too closely to the Vols. Oh, I'm, I'm always paying attention to Tennessee very closely. They, they, Tennessee Goodness. provides me no end of entertainment, frankly. Well, they're slowly ruining my life in terms of, uh, you know. That's a small, that's a small price for me to pay this for my We call podcast. Tennessee's, quote-unquote, been in the, quote-unquote, off-season for, like, three weeks, and it certainly doesn't feel like it, uh, you know. This internal investigation, a lot of players in the portal, all this stuff. Tennessee has been hopping, uh, and we'll keep an eye on it. I mean, this investigation, uh, I I think, may be winding down a little bit. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt is probably going to meet with investigators this week, from what I understand, and we'll see how that goes. I, I imagine it might go fast after that. Only in college football is there a reality, is there an environment where there's some kind of motivation to absolutely kneecap your own program like Tennessee has. What Tennessee is doing to itself is inexplicable. They've essentially hit the pause button on Tennessee football. And if you don't think everybody else in the SEC notices that and is mentioning that on the recruiting trail, you're crazy. And the fact that there's any scenario in which Tennessee or any school thinks, yeah, that's a good idea to potentially save us $12 million or whatever is, you know, we're going to take this guy that we want to fire and spend a month trying to find a reason to fire him, thereby absolutely assuring that he has no chance to change the circumstances for which we want to fire him. I mean, let's draw a little, Ben, let's draw a diagram of that circle and, and see how much sense that makes. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately this is about games. Um, you, you can find stuff you want to investigate, but if he gets fired, it's not going to be because of the investigation. That It's just not. It's going to be because he went 3-7 and seven and he's had two losing seasons. I was sad, you know, this week. Usually the coaches convention would be going on. I've, uh, I've gone to that a few times, and it was supposed to be in Nashville this year. Man, uh, you want to talk about a great place to be while all this was going on. Uh, I'm, I was very sad that that, uh, you know, last year at the, I was watching the title game uh, over in Opryland. Uh, some some watching with some coaches and some of our colleagues, and it's always it's always an interesting experience. Have you been to the convention before, Josh? No, I haven't. I, that's it is one, quite one a place. It is, yeah. it is quite a place, and it is. Uh, and and man, every coach is there, and and there's a lot of a lot of chatter. And uh, they did it like virtual this year, and it's just not the same. Uh, virtual, virtual. With all this stinks. stuff going on, last year I went, and there wasn't really much going on with Tennessee, and it kind of felt like you know I was there, but it was kind of like I don't really know. You know, you can see some folks and talk to some folks, but it's kind of like, eh. But this year, goodness, man. You know, some of these, you know, it, it, this would have been a very functional year to, to be at the convention, so I'm sad that we missed that. My guy, uh, Chris Vanini, goes every year. It's good seeing him last year, and Max came up there. See some other folks in the business that are always there, uh, Stephen Godfrey and uh, Adam Rittenberg, those guys. Um, but, alas, Tennessee uh, looks unsettled for the moment, but it might be uh, – more unsettled soon we'll see um but we'll keep you updated 
on Football and Grits, and of course on The Athletic. That will do it for this week's uh, show. We're going to switch to a little bit of a uh, less frequent schedule here soon. Um, we're in the off season, so look for us to go uh, weekly instead of uh, daily. But we'll still be bringing plenty of SEC football stuff your way. Uh, we'll heat up a little bit when uh, recruiting season gets uh, back into uh, high gear around signing day. But thank you guys for listening. Thank you for tuning in. If you're not subscribed to the show, you should change that. Whatever podcast purveyor you choose, if you subscribe to the show, have it delivered directly to your device. And of course, if you're not subscribed to The Athletic, you should change that. Theathletic.com slash grits. You can see all of our coverage. Myself, Josh, all our coverage from the title game. We had three people there in person, more people writing um, from home. A weird season. A weird season. Um, But we had plenty of title game coverage. And of course coverage of the rest of the sport as well thank you guys for listening thank you for tuning in for josh kendall i'm david ubbin this has been the uh post national championship edition of football and grits i'd like to congratulate alabama clemson and ohio state on their playoff spots for next year and uh good luck with that four spot it's gonna be a heck of a chase we'll see you again soon (laughs) 